Well, hey there. Thanks for joining us today. We are in week two of our series that is kicking off 2024 for us. Uh, It's not the typical New Year's series where we talk about habits or fresh starts, but it's a series focused on really a deep dive into our understanding of and practice of the Lord's Supper. Now, um, this series, uh, the reason we're doing it to start 2024 is really birthed out of a burden that I felt like Jesus laid on to my heart last year. Um, It was something that I really wrestled with and thought deeply about. And it was kind of birthed into this idea that we need to recover the significance of the Lord's Supper in our spiritual formation. Uh, If you saw last week's message, you know, we, we talked about how easy it is for the Lord's Supper just to be something we do, a ritual that we walk through. We feel like the Lord does something for us in that moment, but we're really not sure what it is. But see, I believe more than just something we do, the Lord's Supper, as we a church gather around the table, is part of what shapes us into who we are becoming. And so we really need to recover that significance in our formation as we are more like Jesus. So if you didn't join us last week, let's just take a minute and kind of look back at where we started. Uh, In fact, last week we talked about how the Lord's Supper helps us to look back. Uh, At the core, at the heart of the Lord's Supper, it helps us to look back and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, In taking the bread and in taking the cup, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, that's kind of a different grammatical structure than we would normally use. Maybe if we put it in the way we speak today, we would say something like, do this, eat this bread, drink this cup, do this to remember me. You know, as we think about the Lord's Supper, we said last week that we just don't gather at the table because we remember the Lord's sacrifice. We gather at the table in order to remember the Lord's sacrifice, that the body of Christ was broken just like the bread and the blood of Christ was spilt just like the the cup. And then even beyond that, we took some time to talk about the the importance of just remembering for our faith in general. Right, That the act of remembering uh, at the table specifically, but in general, is more than just a mental exercise. As we remember, it's a moment of spiritual formation and it should be a moment of worship. And I would say that as followers of Jesus, you and I can be changed in our remembering. As we remember Jesus and his sacrifice, we are reoriented away from our own self-righteousness. As we remember Jesus and his sacrifice, we are rooted deeper into our new identity as sons and daughters of the King. And as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, our hearts are moved to worship. And beyond that, our hearts are motivated to live in obedience. And so as we press on this week, what we're going to see is how more than just looking back to remember, and don't get me wrong, that's a core part of what the Lord's Supper is, But more than just looking back to remember, the table helps us to look forward to the promise of Jesus' return. So, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's look back at the passage we read last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's probably a pretty familiar passage, especially if you grew up in church and took the Lord's Supper or communion together. Uh, And this week, as we read the same passage, we're going to focus in on really the last sentence that we read together. But if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to start reading 
in verse 23. This is what we read. Paul writes, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So today I want to lean in to that last sentence. And really there are two parts in that last sentence that I think are really important for us to understand. Uh, The first part in that sentence is that as we gather around the table to take the Lord's Supper, Paul says that in doing so, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. Well, how? How are we proclaiming the Lord's death? And really, what does that even mean? Uh, So I think to understand what Paul means by that idea that we proclaim the Lord's death, we need to know two things. First, uh, we need to know the symbolism of the body and blood of Jesus given as a sacrifice for our sin, and that's what we focused and talked about last week. So if you've made it to this point and you missed last week's message, after we get done today, go back and and listen for the first time to last week's message because you need to understand that symbolism. But the second thing that we need to understand is the situation of the Corinthian church that led Paul to write this letter that we call 1 Corinthians in the first place. Um, Let's just say that the church Paul planted in Corinth had a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, I made the joke in our our sermon prep meeting with our pastors that I'm not sure why many churches would name themselves Corinth Baptist Church. But uh, one of the problems that Paul addressed, and uh, honestly, he would ultimately try to show them that it was more of a blessing than a problem. uh, But the problem was the economic and social disparity between those who made up the church and who met in homes together to worship by taking the Lord's Supper. Now, we're going to lean into this more specifically uh, here in just a couple of weeks, but for now, let's just leave it at the fact that this economic and social gap led to some problems, and it led to problems specifically as they would gather around the table to share this meal. See, what Paul does is Paul reminds the church that as they gather to take the Lord's Supper, his body and his blood, that in so doing, they were proclaiming the Lord's death. Specifically, they were proclaiming their need for it. Whether they were a have or a have not, they all needed the broken body and spilt blood of Jesus to be made right with God and made clean from their sin. And you know, that is just as true for us now as it was for them then. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you feel you have accomplished or not accomplished in this life, when we gather at the table to take the bread and the cup, we are proclaiming to the world We're proclaiming to our faith family and we are proclaiming to ourselves that we are in desperate need of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Not to help us do better and be better and not to give us a fresh start so that hopefully we don't screw up again this time. But we are desperately in need of Jesus' sacrifice so that our dead hearts can be brought to life. So that our hearts of stone can be made hearts of flesh. 
so that we can come in right standing before God our Father. And so when we gather at the table, we proclaim our common need for and our equal standing under the grace and mercy of Jesus at the foot of the cross. We proclaim the Lord's death and specifically our need for it. But the second part of that sentence that I think we need to understand is that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, this is a clear reminder of the promise that Jesus is indeed coming to this world again. And that we are, as his followers, to look forward with anticipation for that day. So last week, if you caught on, again, I know I'm referencing that a lot. It's it's really important to kind of get some of what we talked about because we don't have time to go over it again today. But last week, we spent some time talking about how the Lord's Supper looked back to a past meal in the nation of Israel, the Passover, commemorating God's deliverance of the nation from Egypt. But what we see here is that the Lord's Supper also looks forward to a future meal. One that we often call the marriage supper of the Lamb. So in the book of Revelation, uh, the Apostle John gets a glimpse of the celebration that's going to happen in heaven at the end of time. As time on earth uh, draws near, John is seeing what's going on in heaven and there's a massive celebration. And we're going to read what he writes in Revelation chapter 19 verse 4. John says, Then... The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. A voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, These words of God are true. So when John on the island of Patmos is given this vision of a celebration in heaven, one of the things that he sees is how the bride of Christ, the church, is given fine white linens to prepare themselves for the marriage supper with their groom, Jesus. Now, this vision of the marriage supper of the Lamb may say, like, seem like, well, well, that's cool, but is that all there is? No, actually, there's not, because the vision of this supper actually uh, goes all the way back to texts in the Old Testament, such as uh, Isaiah 25, where in Isaiah 25, God promises to swallow up death forever and then have a rich feast for all the peoples of the earth. We read this in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. And when he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken." So this 
future feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, is not just something that we read about in Revelation, but we see it's a feast that God has been planning all the way back in the Old Testament, that when his final victory over death is secure, I love that phrase, when he takes the shroud off that covers the nations, he's going to have this massive feast of celebration. But I think even more than that, Jesus himself alluded to this marriage supper when he instituted the Lord's Suppers with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed and carried away ultimately to the cross. At the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, I won't eat or drink again until the kingdom is fulfilled. Specifically, this is what he says. He says it in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew 26, verse 29, Jesus says, But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Mark 14, 25, Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And Luke 22, 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is that he is sharing this Passover meal with them one last time, and then he institutes this as the Lord's Supper that we take to remember his death. But there in that night of the Last Supper, as he takes the cup and he takes the bread, he says, we're going to have a meal together again one day, and I'm not going to eat this bread or drink this cup until that day. So even in instituting the Lord's Supper, Jesus himself was anticipating the marriage supper that was to come. So we see that the table, the Lord's Supper, anticipates the celebration of a greater wedding supper that is to come. And every time that you and I come to the table to participate in the Lord's Supper, we announce to the world that Christ is coming back and He has invited us to that meal one day with Him. In his book, Why is the Lord's Supper so important? Author Aubrey Sakira writes, Even as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, He wanted His disciples to know that this meal was only a preview, a foretaste of a greater meal to come. The Lord's Supper is a foretaste of this moment, a lick of the spoon. It's meant to whet our appetites for the feast that represents the final fulfillment of all God's saving promises. That's why the Apostle Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, we're not just anticipating, we're proclaiming Jesus' coming kingdom. We're not just proclaiming that He died, but also that He's risen and coming again. We're proclaiming in the present not merely what Jesus has done in the past, but also what He will do one day in the future. We eat and drink as we anticipate the glorious day when we will eat with Him in His heavenly kingdom. And guess what? Jesus is eagerly looking forward to that meal just as much as we do. The joyful bridegroom is longing to be united with his bride. I love that. That the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of that day. It is a lick of the spoon that prepares us for a meal, that gets us hungry and excited for a meal that is to come. And as followers of Jesus, we continue to live in anticipation of that future promise. I mean, really, that's faith, isn't it? Faith is when we live in light of what we can't see. 
We can't see heaven. We can't see that marriage supper. We can't see that great day of celebration. But we trust it by faith. And as we said last week, that we remember Jesus' faithfulness to us in the past so that our faith will grow and we'll continue to trust him now. If he was faithful to keep his word then, he'll be faithful to keep his word now so we can trust that this day is coming and look forward to it. So the Lord's Supper is for us a tangible, physical foretaste of what our senses can't yet experience now, but they will one day. The Lord's Supper is a promise of what's to come. And I think that as I've grown in my faith over the years, I've learned that foretastes like these are important because they fuel our faithfulness when life feels hopeless and, and everything's overwhelming. Let me share with you a story. I've shared it here at the church before, but it's one of my favorite stories. I read it first from author Randy Alcorn, and it's the story of swimmer Florence Chadwick. See, in 1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather that morning was foggy and chilly, and she could hardly see the boats that accompanied her. Still, she swam on for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother, who was in a boat alongside, told her, you're close, you can finish it, you can make it. And finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, Florence stopped swimming and was pulled out of the water into the boat. It wasn't until she got on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than a half mile away. So at a news conference the next day, Florence said this, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Man, that's so heartbreaking, right? To think that she came all that way and it was right there, but she gave up because she couldn't see it. And see, I think that that's why foretastes like the Lord's Supper are so important because in the Lord's Supper we get a glimpse of that greater supper. As we gather with the church to worship, we get a foretaste, a glimpse of what heaven will be like one day. Every now and then, in simple moments of our lives, we get a foretaste of the greater promise of God. And it helps us to keep going. It helps us to continue on, right? You know, I think that idea of a meal, most of us aren't living in anticipation of that meal. We're not living lives here that make us hungry to be filled at that meal that day. Instead, we're like kids who are snacking on junk food all day long. So when that day comes, we're not even going to be hungry for it. But Paul says, no, live for that day. Anticipate that day. And what does that look like for us? To live our life now to get ready for that. I think mean, that's a question that we all have to wrestle with. Because there is coming a day when all the brokenness of this world will be made whole again. There's going to be a day when we will sit at the true and better table of Jesus and feast with Him like we could never imagine. But until that day, gathering at the table here helps you and I to see the shore.
Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time today to look to your word and to learn and understand more about this gift you've given us of your supper and your table. And so, God, I pray that you would make our hearts hungry for the meal that is coming with you and your kingdom when we see you face to face, made like you when death is done away and you wipe away every tear from our eye. God, would we not be easily satisfied with the junk food of this life, but would we live lives in anticipation of that day that is to come? And God, specifically, when we gather around your table again, would we get a glimpse of heaven? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.